Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you doing today? I hope all is well. I'm looking a bit pasty today, not feeling so great. The pantomime is over and it's that post-panto slump. Someone was asking, actually, why the pantomime is in February. And I don't know. It's just, it's always been that way from when I was first in this pantomime when I was about eight years old, a year or two ago, obviously. It's always been in the February half term. I think because January and February sometimes can be a bit miserable. So if you've got something to look forward to, if you know you're meeting up with people and rehearsing and having a laugh, or you hope you're having a laugh, not always the case, then it just it brightens up the start of the year. And I guess there's no other pantomime on at that time, so there's no competition, so that's all good. But yes, the pantomime is done and I'm just... I'm just a bit exhausted, but never mind because I've got some great books to talk to you about. Really excited. The first book that I'm going to tell you about is called Leave No Trace by Joe Callahan. And Joe is going to come on and talk to us about that book as well and about her first book, In the Blink of an Eye. I'm also going to tell you about In Bloom by CJ Scoos. That's the second in the Sweet Pea series. And uh, yes, want to tell you about that. And then finally, I'm going to talk to you about Geneva by Richard Armitage. Richard Armitage, of course, played the part of Thorin in the Hobbit films. So, yeah, I was intrigued to see if he could write as well. Let's get stuck in straight away. So Leave No Trace by Joe Callahan. It's the second in the series. First one was In the Blink of an Eye. And let me tell you a little bit about this book. When the body of a man is found crucified at the top of Mount Judd, Aidlock, the world's first AI detective, and DCS Cap Frank are thrust into the spotlight as they are given their first live case. When a second body is found, the police issue an extraordinary warning to local males aged between 30 and 40 years old. Avoid drinking in pubs. If you must go to a pub, do not leave alone. And do not leave a pub with a stranger. With the national media and local men in uproar, Cat and Locke have to combine their instincts and algorithms to catch the killer before they can strike again. You'll hear what I think about this book in my chat with with Joe, and I think let's just go straight into that. It is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Joe Callahan. 
to talk to us about her new book, Leave No Trace. Jo, welcome back. Thank you. It's fabulous to be back. This is our first catch-up since we talked about In the Blink of an Eye, and we spoke then before the book had been published. How's it been going? How do you feel? Tell me everything. Oh, gosh, where to start? It's been... When we first spoke, it was just over a year ago, wasn't it? It was early January, and if you'd have told me then that it would go on to be on Between the Covers on BBC Two, Waterstone, Sir of the Month, in the Sunday Times bestsellers chart, I'd have just thought you were crazy because I just didn't have any of those expectations. I don't think anybody did, to be honest. Somebody asked me this question a couple of days ago about the publishing journey. The way I described it was like, I think when you publish a book, it's like lifting a kite up into the air and everybody gets a bit of a gust of a wind from publication day. Everyone sort of says, oh, well done. You get a little bit of a da-da. But then quite often the kite sinks because you need the gusts of wind. And, and sometimes that comes from marketing. But I think what I was lucky enough to have, and your podcast was key to that, was, you know, readers, bloggers, they were giving it little puffs of wind. And then every time another gust of wind would come along. So in the February, it was selected for between the covers. So, you know, Amanda Ross transformed the profile of that book. Then I was selected to be in the Val McDermott's New Blood panel in Harrogate. It was another gust of wind. And all the reviews that kept on coming in from readers and the water and sort of them. So I just feel like I was just so lucky that all these different gusts of wind kept coming along that kept the kite up as long as it did. That's not a really bad analogy, but that's the no. way I think about it because it captures the fact that a lot of this business is about luck. So I feel incredibly grateful, also slightly guilty, because there are so many good books that are published that don't get the, the opportunities that, that I had. But yeah, it has been yeah fantastic, but also exhausting, weird and wonderful, I guess. Yeah. So when you got the call that your book was going to be on Between the Covers, which if people listening don't know about, is this yeah. really brilliant TV programme that where they have celebrities on and they talk about books that they enjoy and they have like a book club where they discuss a book and yours was chosen for that. What, tell me about when you found out about that. It was just before the book was published, actually. So it was, my book was published January the 19th. So about a week before, I was in the hairdressers getting my hair done. So I had all the tin foil on. <laughs> I was sitting there, ready for my book. And then my publicist, Jess, rang. She's been publishing always say this. They start the call with, you can't tell anybody, but <laughs> you've been selected for between the covers. Because everything in publishing is a secret. And it was like, literally, well, you'll be shot if you tell anybody. So I was sitting there at the hairdressers, covered in timber, thinking, oh my God. I mean, I didn't even know they'd put me forward here. It never entered my head. I'm not just being self-depreciated, because obviously everybody hopes they're going to be Sunday Times bestseller. These things pass through your head. But between the covers was such mm. So way out of my league, it would never, I'd never thought I would be on that. So I had this incredible knowledge and then this terrible thing, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. And that was amazing. We, we did a little film for the show and it was broadcast, I think, in, in early March. And mine was on the second, I think it was on the first episode. And I invited some friends and family around to watch it. It was only about a few minutes before when I realised, oh gosh, what if they don't like it? I've just said, we're going to sit here watching and luckily, everyone was so complimentary about it. Every single guest loved it, which, having seen a few other programmes, that, that doesn't always happen. So again, I kind of look exactly. back and think I was very lucky with the guests that I had had because, yeah, so again, that was just... But it was... That transformed it. That gave my book... It put my book in another league. It gave my publisher's confidence. It just gave it a profile. 
and opened it up to other readers who maybe wouldn't normally pick up a crime novel about AI. Mm. So, because people really trust that program. And so people bought it and then they told other people. And it just has that domino effect. So, you know, I'd always be grateful to that show. Yes, I was going to say, they are honest about what they think about a book. So they're they're not just puffing you up if they don't like it, but that they really loved your book. And it's now out in the blink of an eye, it's now out in paperback. So there's been more Mm. puffing the kite up, as you say, to use your analogy, (laughs) seeing all that's gone on, all the adverts that's happening and it's being projected in railway stations. I mean, how does that feel? Mad, absolutely mad. So that's because it was walked so through the month. So, so the most amazing thing is because again, other writers listening to this will know that when your book's published, you sort of tentatively wander into your to the bookshops hoping to see your book, and it often isn't there because there are so many books published, Waterstones can't stock them all. Or you, so when the hard book came out, there was maybe two, two or three in bookshops. If I was lucky, so you quite and that that is just what happened. So then to know that every Waterstones in the country would have a window display and a table of my books was just incredible that I could and and, and I visited because I work full time. So the weekends during January, I tried to visit as many as I could. I went to about sixteen dotted around the country just to say thank you and to do signings and meet people. That was just brilliant, just amazing. But the big poster was in Marylebone train station. I took my kids over to see that because they were just like, wow, how it was just like surreal. How mad is that? And it must be, I mean, it's an amazing experience, but every time I see you having these incredible opportunities, I, I don't know, but you must because your husband very sadly died and you he hasn't been able he wasn't able to see all of this and it must be a double-edged sword in a way that it's wonderful yeah. but you just want him to have no, known thank what you for asking that because that's I, I, it does so I kind of feel ungrateful sometimes because it's quite everyone's so happy for me so isn't it and so when people say oh it's so great I go well it is but you're absolutely right every Let's talk about this in the acknowledgements to leave no trace. I, I say a bit about. I don't think you've you've got the version with the acknowledgements in. No, but, um, I say that it's that bittersweet thing because every positive experience. So when I go on a train to visit, I don't know Ledbury or Leamington Spa or Lichfield, it all seems to begin with L. All these lovely mm. places, and I think if Steve was here, a he'd love this. I would probably stay over the night. We'd make a weekend of it. We'd go in that. We'd have restaurant, we'd have a meal there. I, so it's like I live in a parallel universe mm. where I'm doing what I'm doing and that I always have a little track in my head that that knows if Steve was alive, there'd be a different way of doing it. So it does actually make me feel quite lonely when I go around the different shops. But but then I feel guilty, you know, I, I'm very grateful. But yeah, it's a weird thing that the better things are, the more I miss him. Yeah, but what would he say if, if he knew all of this? What I I mean, I can only imagine. He would say, I told you. Oh, yeah, because yeah. he was the one who most believed in me. He, yeah, I'm 54 now, you know, I started writing my 40th birthday when he bought me a laptop, you know, just to sort of encourage me to start writing. Literally, did I know it would take me so long. <laughs> but he was one who would always encourage me. And I had a lot of rejections. I wrote five books that didn't get published in the UK. And when I had those things, he would get his iPod out and play music. Doris Day, I could write a book. Oh. He, you know, if they asked me, I could write a book. He'd always play that to cheer me up and push me on. So, yeah, he would say, I told you. There you go. <laughs> and he'd be there so excited. So we'd, we'd want to do all these. We'd be going on trips everywhere, yeah, just to see all. 
And we need to talk about your sort of main character, DCS Cat Frank, because she's widowed as well. So you write yes. with a lot of knowledge and understanding of her position and situation, but also there's the humour in her and how she deals with some of the things that she has to face on her own. Are you sort of, does it help you process what you've been going through? Yeah, definitely. I'm the other thing I told you in the last interview, I wrote it. I started writing The Blink of an Eye about two months after Steve died. It was just after this funeral and all that was over. And yeah, I just, yeah, I just couldn't face sitting on the settee watching telly by myself. So that was, I just literally wrote that to keep myself um, sane. And Cap was essentially me. And I was just going back to work at the same time as well, having to go to work. I should be in, get, pretend to have all your stuff together and, be, and then come home and just cry. So, yeah, I was just trying to process all that. And Cat is kind of a version of me. She's slightly spikier. So I, could, I always make it so that she sort of makes mistakes, whereas obviously I'm always completely right. But yeah, there's a version of me that was definitely was. In that first draft I just wrote for me, it was only after that when others were encouraging me to try and get it published. It took me a long time because I'd had so many rejections and because it was so personal. I did, I had to think, could I, I could not have coped, I think, if that was rejected part, partly. But then I thought, actually, I wrote it for me. It did its job. It kept me a, alive and sane during that period. So anything else is a bonus. So when I did send it to my agent and she said to add permission, I was actually very zen compared to the times when I got in submission. So I've been out in submission twice and publishers have been rejected. Whereas this time I just thought, I'm happy with it. I wrote it for me and literally anything else is a bonus. And it was very, and of course that was the one that got published. So it shows. And we're going to talk about your next book, Leave No Trace in a minute. But let's start with the sort of the basic building blocks of this series, which is what it is yes. now. Yes, we've got DCS Cat Frank, but, and they're crime books, but what really make it different is that there is this AI feature as well. Can you just tell listeners a little bit about that? Yes, so as you say, Kat is a middle-aged widow detective returning to work after the death of her husband and she's reluctantly agrees to pilot the use of an AI detective, Aidlock, who is an artificially intelligent detecting entity. So the hardware is a sort of a bracelet on her wrist, but he projects himself as, as a hologram, so to enable himself to interact with other human beings. That makes it sound really sci-fi, but I think most people have read it because it's a police procedure, very much grounded in reality. It's set slightly a few more years in the future, but that the world is recognisable as, as now, and the AI interacts with other humans. I'm, I'm hopefully I made it really quite believable in terms of what you see is Aidlock. He makes decisions according to algorithms, evidence-based, very logical, and can be, can be super fast and, and super clever, but then actually fundamentally misunderstand human beings <laughs> and interactions in, in sometimes a very comical way. And, and actually as the series progresses, sometimes in quite a sad way because he there's some things he can never understand. And what I'm interested in exploring in, in, in the series is how do AI and humans interact? Where do humans add value? Where do machines add value? And for a machine that's capable of deep learning, how much can it actually learn? And then what happens when it does? He's also, it has to be said, rather pleasing to the eye when he is, his image is yes. projected. Was that fun to write? Yes, it was. So yeah, Aid Locke is a sort of very handsome 30-something black male. And his creator, Professor Okinidos, based him on Chadwick Boseman, who was her hero growing up from, from the Black Panther films. 
who if you watch videos of him, which I've watched many of, has a, has an incredibly graceful, articulate way of talking. He has real presence. So the training data, essentially, that she has used for Locke in order to, to, to enable him to be very convincing and persuasive with humans is Chadwick Boseman because he has such fantastic communication skills. So that is deliberately quite disconcerting for people like Kat because he looks so realistic and you can forget at times that he's not human and also he is handsome. And again, as the series develops, that, that line between personal you know, work and home gets a bit blurred because Locke's always available it's not like at night you think I would ring you know, Ryan Hassan, but it's 10 o'clock, he's probably in bed. Lockie's always available to discuss the case, you know, run ideas behind, because right? Kat's lonely because her husband, is that's the person she would have normally done that with. But yeah. Lock's continually available. So again, I'm, I'm deliberately playing with that line in terms of, as we all have coping, as a nags of all the digital technology, blurring that line between home and work, what's personal, what's professional, what's real. You know, you give your sat-nav or Alexa personality, but that's us imposing our human-centric beliefs upon them. So I am trying to show both the pros and cons of those blurred lines and boundaries. Oh, my goodness. This next book is going to be out in about three and a half weeks from when this podcast goes out. It's going to be out on the 28th of March. As I say, it's called Leave No Trace. What do we need to know about this book? And do we have to have read In the Blink of an Eye to just dive in to Leave No Trace? Yeah, I've uh, written it so it does make sense as a standalone. Hopefully not you think, Philippa, but I've written it so there's enough background information there quite shortly given so it can be read as a standalone. But as with any series, it's, I think it's always better if we follow the character up, but definitely you can read it as a standalone. And this, in the first case, they did a pilot. In, in the pilot, they looked at two cold cases so this is their first live case when the body of a man is found crucified at the top of Mount Judd, which is a man-made hill in Nanita, known as Nanita's Nipple. And so Cap Frank and Aid Locke are tasked with solving what, what turned out to be a serial killer of men. So they're thrust in the, into the spotlight and then you get the public's reaction to an AI detective but also as, as as more men are found murdered, it's young men in the Nanishan area are urged to avoid drinking in pubs, to avoid leaving them alone and to always let a friend know where they are. So it's men who are asked to change their behaviour as a result of a crime. So again, exploring all those issues. So yeah, and, and as ever with all the books, it's about algorithms versus experience, human instinct versus logic and, and how that relationship between Cat and Locke develops. As you know, I loved In the Blink of an Eye. And so when I read Leave No Trace, I was worried as to whether it would suffer from second book syndrome and yeah, be as too. good. This is even better, Joe. Oh, I really? Loved it. Genuinely, it is oh, brilliant. I mean, oh, I'm so nervous about book two. In the Blink of an Eye was great. So I'm not saying that wasn't, but this is everything and more. And I oh, just thanks, I mean. couldn't put it down, and and yeah. I need but I need three immediately now because I need to know. What I really, <laughs> just I really care I because when I I wrote book two, so when we spoke last year, I'd written a first draft of Leave No Trace. I'd just finished it over the Christmas holidays, and it's because TM Logan said to me, "Make sure you finish book two before book one comes out because it'll put you off." So even though I, I was really racing and that last third I wrote over the Christmas holidays and I was literally the night before I went back to work, I just did it in a sprint. And I'm so glad I did because I was when I wrote Leave No Trace, I was very confident. I thought the plot was stronger, the issues, I felt really positive about it. But then the more people have been so 
positive about in the blink of an eye. I've gone, oh gosh, or oh, maybe this isn't as good. Oh, have I, I just feel the burden of expectations. And I know what TM Logan meant. I'm so glad I finished it there. I am literally losing sleep over because people have really invested in Cat and Lock and I don't want to let them down. I think people have got their own feelings. So that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Uh, honestly. with you. They will. They have to. They must. <laughs> Make them whisper. Yes. I just, I don't see how they can't because... It's got everything and more. I just thought it was absolutely astonishingly good, honestly, Joe. But you're going really? to read a little bit from this book. You're going to read us a bit oh, yes. from the very beginning, the prologue, I believe. The prologue. So they're just the first few lines. Atherstone, Warwickshire, 7th of December, 5.55pm. He doesn't turn to check that he's not alone. He doesn't cross the street to where there are more houses, more lights. He doesn't even pretend to ring someone or hold his umbrella like a truncheon. He just walks through the night, through the absence of fear. And such an interesting sort of twist on news events that we're obviously aware of, as you say. So now, Joe, I loved everything about this book, I have to say, except page 84. And I've written it down here. I'm going to hold you to account for this, Joe. You might know what I'm going to I say about this. I don't to the archers. Yes, she put the radio on, <laughs> drown out the white noise, quickly switching it off again as she realised what it was. Bloody archers. Now, Joe, I thought we were friends. What, I know, what I next? I'm amazed, you know, I, I, that happens in, in the blink of an eye as well. So well, I've made a point in the... of it in every book. It, it's because I, I, I have to say, I'm so sorry, I'm not a fan of the archers. And I <laughs> normally start to want to cook about 7pm. And when I go to switch on the radio, I do think, oh my God, the archers. And I have to find something else to listen to, like a podcast by yourself. So I've got that in as a little running joke to myself, which possibly will alienate a big chunk of the viewers. But yeah, I've got it so in every book. She makes a derogatory comment about the archers, I'm afraid. I look forward to a future book where Aid Locke loves the oh, archers. That's interesting. Yes, actually, that's a good point. Yes, and converts they find cats. that very interesting. Yes. Oh, that's an idea. Because he could go back and assimilate the 70 years of the archers very quickly and so be yeah, up to date on everything. And that would be good with him learning about... Um, oh, that's really yes, interesting. There you go. Actually, that's, that's actually quite helpful. I might do that because in book three, which I'm writing about two-thirds of the way through it now, it centres around a farm. In Warwickshire, so the farm is really key to it. So actually, Locke would need to learn about farming folk, wouldn't he? And that's his source. I mean, it's exactly what he would do. I would, you would be put back on the Christmas card list if you did something like okay, that. Yeah, so I would do that. No pressure. <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be that's a really good idea. <laughs> the only sentence of the whole book that I had an, that I had an issue I with. Know. Every other sentence. I didn't did want to think. Oh gosh, you're going to tell me I'm a disappointing. You know, just that. No, I think I, I think <laughs> it's I think it's funny. But with all that you've gone through over the last year, I was wondering what the sort of the best thing and the worst thing about publishing a book has been for you? Yeah, so the best thing, obviously, is that we've had Between the Covers and Waterstones for the month and all of that, she says, oh, flippantly, all that mobs. <laughs> but um, to be honest, it's been able to get out of the house and go to the festivals. That, mm -hmm. for me, is because I spent several years as a carer for Steve and also my youngest. So for this year, to be able to go out, but particularly to go to book festivals and to like author events, launches that's been incredibly energizing to meet with other authors and readers the people who become fans they become like friends uh, because they're such brilliant supporters it's so nice to think so I'm going to 
Whitley Bay Bay Tales in a couple of weeks and I'll meet up again with some that's in, oh, I'll see you there and uh, and mm. I, I'm not in apparel, I'm just going because I really enjoyed last year's and just really looking forward to it. That's been a real treat. Yeah. And, and what, the worst uh, thing? The worst thing, as I said, the worst thing I said before was obviously because Steve isn't here mm. to share it. But on top of that, I think it is quite unhealthy. It, it has the potential to drive you mad, I think, because... You start getting what I do. You start looking up how many what your Amazon ranking is, how many sales you're doing, how well you are. And I think uh, a couple of years ago, if you'd have asked me if I was successful, would I have given up work? I'd have probably thought the aim is to give up work so I could write full time. But actually now I'm thinking, apart from the fact I enjoy my job, I think if all I did was write, all I would do then is obsess with how the book was doing. I think that'd be really quite unhealthy because mm. there's no correlation between inputs and outputs in the book world. As it came completely around, you could write the best book ever and it not do well. And I think that would just be a recipe for madness. Whereas at least my work, there's some sort of correlation between inputs and outputs. And I've got some sort of external source of validation. I think if, yeah, it is quite a crazy world, which is hard to explain. Does that make sense? Yeah, That's- it does. But you're very good. You lift up other authors and other books. You're always talking on social media regularly. You are promoting other people's books and new books coming out. So you are very much a supporter of authors full stop, I think. And that's something that I think is wonderful and, and isn't always the case with authors. Yeah, well, most authors are. But I think, I mean, I like most writers, I read, I probably read two or three books a week. They're probably like you, I'm a quick reader. And I need to read. Otherwise, I'm just, I don't, I don't know what people do. I don't read, to be honest. And then I want to tell people, if I've read something good, I want to tell other people, you need to read this. So maybe it's that I'm just very bossy. I just think, well, I've read this. It's really good. You really need to read it. And also, I'm just very aware, particularly this year, because the book's done so well. And I know there are other book, other writers who are better than my, they're better writers than me. And yet, for some reason, the publishers don't get behind it or they don't get spotted by the, between the covers are water zones and they don't get the profile that they should. And I've said, yeah, if I can, yeah, then I will sort of try and draw attention to other people's books in that way. And looking at Leave No Trace and when it comes out in a few weeks, obviously people can pre-order it now. How important yes, are yeah, how important are pre-orders for you as an author, Joe? So I'm still working this out, but as I'm saying, the pre-orders, that the key thing is that, that then gives you... Publishing is a game of confidence. It is gambling. And because when a publisher buys... This is my interpretation, this may not be true, but so when a publisher buys your book, so my book you know, was two years where it's published, they are taking... They are forecasting what they think people might like two years in advance. So that mm. is a gamble. And then what that comes into it is there's a sort of how much confidence they have and whether their guess, their gamble is right. And that becomes a game of poker, a game of confidence. So if other people start to say, so if the first thing is if other publishers start competing for your book, then all the confidence gets raised. Then if other readers and reviewers start praising it, it's a bit like when you take, if you, when you're younger and you've got a boyfriend and you really fancy that, and then you take them to see your, you take them, you meet friends. And then if they start kind of turning their nose up at your boyfriend or girlfriend, then that sort of makes you think, oh, no, you're right now. They're a bit funny looking, aren't they? You know what I mean? Or is that, oh, they're gorgeous. Like, yes, they are. I knew I was it. There's an element of that. And then the pre-orders are pretty hard-edged version of that because actually that's readers not just saying it's great. They're actually putting money behind it. So I think if you've got pre-orders and the publishers are watching 
Goodreads and the pre-orders, and that's informed decisions a month or two beforehand, I, I think about who gets the marketing support because again going back mm. to the gust of wind thing are you going to invest in a kite that's dead on the floor mm. or one that's already up there and just needs another little gust so i think that's a really complicated way of me saying from what i've learned after one year that pre-orders are really important as a signal that it's worth putting more money into behind the book and so, when yeah, people... please pre-order the book yeah. <laughs> when people have read Leave No Trace and enjoyed it, What? how many more c- might they be looking forward to in this series? How- so in my, I think we've just announced that I've just signed a deal with Simon Schuster for book three and four. So in my head is a four book series. That's the story arc that I've got. So I probably shouldn't box myself into that because I haven't, I'm two thirds way through book three and I think I know what happens at the end of book four. Sometimes when you write a book, it takes longer or shorter. But that's so I think it's I think it's a four book series. I'm disappointed in that, Joe, because I'm hoping for 20 or 25 books in this series. Think, so, I think, yeah. I think those long series only work when you've got two characters who are pretty static and you're just playing the same riff. You've got same character. But the point of the of this series is the story arc is to say how much can Locke learn and what does he does mm-hmm. and the relationship between Cat and Locke and other people. And because AI is developing so rapidly, that cannot go on forever. There are some fundamental questions that have to be answered. And I just think I could. Obviously, if it's doing well, I might change my mind. So actually, yeah, I do you have to read 20. Yeah. That's it, right, Philippa. <laughs> I need to pay the mortgage. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I know some of my favourite shows, like Happy Valley, they've mm-hmm. been very contained. Sally Moimo could, could have written 15 episodes and we'd have all mm-hmm. them up, but it was beautiful mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. just very tight. It was, I think it was four or five. It was just... It ended. It had that discipline to tell that story arc and end, and it was beautiful, exquisite storytelling. So I'm trying to do that if I can. Fair enough. We'll just have to expect other books and other series yeah. from you after that one. I do. Yes, don't worry about that. Good, good. We come to the final question, which is the most crucial one on this podcast. I hope you're prepared for it. And it is, what biscuit powered the writing of Leave No Trace? What is your biscuit of choice? Yeah, I've had to limit that this year. I'm not a huge biscuit eater. but I, And I don't know if this counts as a biscuit, but a macaroon, chocolate macaroon. Okay, we'll go okay. with it. We'll allow you. It's such a great book, okay? we'll allow it. Because yeah. when I eat things like that, it's generally because I haven't got time to eat, as in proper food. So it, yeah. And they're quite filling. So I've had that with a cup of tea. And if I had two or three of those, then I don't need to eat for an hour or two. So it's that sort of... It's, yeah, that's what helps you. Gluten-free, to be specific. So this book is powered by chocolate macaroons. Is that fair? Yeah, gluten-free chocolate macaroons. Fair enough. I mean, it is, as I say, and I'm not just saying this, a brilliant book. So if that works, that's fine. Just keep (laughs) getting them, Joe, and keep eating them. (laughs) I sense disapproval. No! No, not at all. They're not. Are they my biscuit of choice? No. Do you want something else? What is your biscuit of choice? Mary, are you seasonal? A, you, do you fluctuate? There's an extensive answer I could give you. I mean, it, ideally, a Marks and Spencer's box of biscuits, which are the extra thick chocolate covered biscuits. So oh, yeah, another one's me. There's yeah. actually more chocolate than biscuit in it. So basically, yeah. it's chocolate, but you can get away with saying the biscuit. Actually, I do so, like a chocolate, a dark chocolate with, with oh, very thick yeah. chocolate. Again, I like their good quality thick chocolate, yeah. And chilled. Yes. 
Yes, Joe. <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to hearing people loving this book, picking up and reading it and getting to know the characters more because it's an absolute winner. Joe Callahan, whose latest book is Leave No Trace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, two more book reviews. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So the next one is In Bloom by CJ Scoots. I'd already read the first in this series last year and really enjoyed it, Sweet Pea. And this is the second one. I believe there are four books available up until this point. So the second one continues the story. You've got Rhiannon Lewis, who the girl loves killing. It's fair to say she loves killing. She loves killing people that are bad. And so it's not that she's picking on innocent people, but still she's murdering them and uh, and enjoying it. So the the details about this book are as follows. She's back and killing for two. Rhiannon Lewis should be happy. Her cheating fiancé is in jail, framed for the depraved killing spree she committed. Her ex-lover is chopped up and buried where no one will find him. But there's one small problem. She's pregnant, and as much as Rhiannon wants to continue working her way through her kill list, a small voice inside is trying to make her stop. Now Rhiannon has to choose motherhood or murder. I love this book. It's it's so funny, and it's terrible to say it's so funny when you're writing about murder and death and someone who's quite cold-hearted but likes to collect Sylvanian families. I love Sylvanian families as well, so what does that say about me? Each chapter starts with sort of her hate list again. That continues from the first book. 
And some of them just make me laugh so much. I thought it was really, really good. I loved how the story developed and I just want to read the next book now and find out more about what happened. I thought it was very good. If you are someone who couldn't possibly think that writing about murder could be funny and just couldn't come to terms with a character like that, then yes, you, it, this book is quite graphic. You you might not like that, but I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. It's different. It's pacey. It's funny. And you still want to know what's going to happen. Um, some very interesting characters in Bloom, CJ Scoos, very, very good. So now the last book is Geneva by Richard Armitage. And, you know, trust me, if Thorin, son of What's It from The Hobbit, has written a book, I'm going to be interested to read it. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Nobel Prize winning scientist Sarah Collier has started to show the same telltale signs of Alzheimer's disease as her father, memory loss, even blackouts. So she is reluctant to accept the invitation to be the guest of honour at a prestigious biotech conference until her husband Daniel, a neuroscientist, persuades her that the publicity storm will be worth it. The technology being unveiled at this conference could revolutionise medicine forever. More than that, it could save Sarah's life. In Geneva, the couple are fated as stars. At least Sarah is. But behind the five-star luxury, investors are circling. Controversial blogger Terry Landau is all over the story and Sarah's symptoms are getting worse. As events begin to spiral out of control, Sarah can't be sure who to trust, including herself. I enjoyed this book. It's very simple. I saw the twist coming a mile off. But I thought it was really good. I read the book properly. I enjoyed it. I would read another of Richard Armitage's books. And sometimes you think, well, if someone is so well known for being an actor and they're right and then they come out with a book, are they just trading on their name and there's nothing else there? There's no substance to it. But there was. I thought it was a good, fun read. So there we go. Those are your books. We've had Leave No Trace by Joe Callahan. Loved that book. And that's coming out in a couple of weeks. So really looking forward to seeing all the, the love for that book. Then we've got In Bloom by CJ Scoos. Again, thoroughly enjoyed that one. Second in the series, straight on to the third one. And then finally, Geneva by Richard Armitage, which pleasantly surprised me. So there we go. Those are your books. No flops this week, would you believe? But I'm sure I'm sure there'll be something soon. In fact, I'm just trying a book now, which might be a flop, but more on that next week. Anyway, that's me. I hope you're okay. Just look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.